and welcome to Career Alchemist Podcast. My name is Tiana Burek, and I'm a career and business alignment coach. I help impact-driven professionals create careers tailor-made to their potential using the power of human design. In this podcast, you will hear interviews with entrepreneurs and professionals who have successfully created their non-linear careers and hear lessons learned along their journey through the lens of their human design. If you're ready to become the alchemist of your career, join us. Welcome to today's episode. My guest is Vadim Revzin, the founding director of School 16, professor at NYU and contributor at Forbes. Vadim, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Today, I want to talk about an important topic and the work that you do with School 16 and how are you helping others prepare for the jobs of the future? So can you just give us a little bit an overview of the School 16 and the work you do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I came from, a, a, I guess, a pretty traditional background where my family's immigrants, you know, came to the States when I was nine years old and education was always very important and setting yourself up for a secure career was always very important as well. So I uh, was interested in entrepreneurship in college, but I studied economics and finance and uh, ended up working in finance for the first few years of my career. But pretty quickly, I realized I don't like it. And I think like many people, um, you know, the very first thing you do might not be the thing you do for the rest of your life. I think for most people, there are traditional paths, like if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, or something to that effect. But for the most part, many of us right now, we may have three, four, five different careers, careers, not just jobs, but careers throughout our professional life. And so I realized that pretty quickly early on. And for me, working in tech, working for innovative companies was always just exciting. Uh, I had friends that worked at startups. So I knew that that's something I wanted to do. And I ended up getting into tech, working in sales and product management, uh, working in marketing uh, throughout my career. And eventually that led me to, to become a professor at NYU. And I always knew I wanted to work in education, but got the opportunity pretty early in my career. And that's really when I noticed that, you know, the the higher education system, while it has good intentions, is is pretty antiquated. Uh, and it's still not optimized for teaching the most practical skills. And it certainly isn't optimized to teach people how to behave in the real world. You may get, you may major in computer science and know how to put together an application, but how do you actually get a job? How do you uh, make sure that you grow your network so that you can get opportunities before other people? How do you navigate the real world? It's still a black box for many people. So because of my experience in tech and because of my experience in higher education, I decided to launch an education company specifically focused on adults that wanted to advance their careers and specifically focused on building the most practical skills possible for today's economy and second of all, teaching people how to communicate those skills in the real world so they can get the best opportunities. So um, that's been the focus for the last uh, three years for me running this organization and and probably about six years uh, since I've been getting into higher education. Great. And I know you mentioned that the work of School 16 was focused on going into the tech jobs, but with all the changes and with the AI development, you are expanding the way how you present the work and how you help others shift into the jobs for the future and prepare. So can you tell us a little bit how you are adjusting to the new circumstances? So Tech has been popular and has had a lot of growth, especially over the last decade. If you go back 20 years, 
people used to uh, really revere finance jobs and consulting jobs that switched to tech, I would say, in the last five to 10 years. Uh, the narrative is changing a little bit right now. But to be clear, tech isn't going away. I mean, that's pretty clear. Uh, tech companies aren't going away. And uh, the first thing to understand is many of them, you know, while there have been a lot of layoffs, they overhired as well. And and when there is a recession, this is what happens. It's a market correction and, and there's going to be a lot of layoffs and there's going to be more layoffs until sort of the economic depression goes away. And so um, I actually believe that tech isn't going away anywhere, but the way that we think about it has to change. And obviously the advent of AI is accelerating some of these things, but almost every company is a tech company. Uh, every company is tech enabled. Uh, you can slap a different name on it, like health tech or fashion tech or automotive tech or whatever it is. But um, I was even talking to one of my former students who's a pretty senior, he's a VP at an automotive company. And he was telling to, to us that, that, you know, their car company is basically becoming a software company because now new cars have to have computers and they have software and you update that software. And the way that you think about the capabilities of, of a machine like a car has to change for the future, right, as technology continues to evolve. So the way that we're addressing this change is prioritizing what we always prioritize, which is the most practical skills that can help our students be marketable. Whether that means it's marketable for a career transition or it's marketable to get a promotion within their job or it's marketable to get more responsibilities where they work right now so they can leverage that to a different job in the future because we're all constantly evolving individuals, right? And so how do we make sure that we stay competitive? For us, that means picking up skills that are in demand today. And the skills that are increasingly going to be more and more in demand, what we call future of work skills is A, having those transferable skills, right? Communication, soft skills, people talk about that a lot, but really attaching it to something specific, like, okay, do you have the soft skills to talk to senior stakeholders within an organization to either uh, communicate the value of your product if you're in a business development role or to uh, strike a partnership or to you know do marketing within the organization, whatever that is. But the other piece is knowing how to leverage technologies to make your job better and easier. And obviously AI is gonna continue to play more and more of a role with that. So for example, we do a lot of project-based work uh, within School 16 where our students do projects that they can uh, reference on their resumes, that they can talk to about their with their bosses to really showcase that they're proactive in developing skills that are modern. Uh, and a lot of our projects are being changed to include AI so that you can leverage and, and demonstrate your abilities to leverage AI to, to improve your job uh, and uh, to create efficiency within the organization. So I would say we're still doing the same things. We're just adapting it to what's uh, more in demand. And that's a constantly moving target. You know, every every three, three to 12 months, that's going to be the case. And that's part of the reason why our curriculum, for example, at School 16 is constantly being uh, changed in, in conjunction with our practitioners who teach the classes. You know, we don't have pre-recorded content. We have live classes because we want to be able to change the curriculum week to week. We think about change a curriculum like, uh, like uh, updating software, or iterating on software. It's it, it it for it to be evergreen. There's no such thing as evergreen information when uh, you're teaching skills um, for a constantly changing workforce, and and an education company needs to reflect that. Higher education, unfortunately, can't do that. 
I love that you use the word uh, evolving, evolving as a human being, as a professional, but also your curriculum is evolving in order to meet the market demands. So what is your number one suggestion for someone who is looking to evolve from the current role to make a career pivot change or just to go into a different industry? A couple of things. Uh, first of all, I would sit down and think about your your personal gaps, right? Now there's there's kind of a couple of ways to think about it. You know, I think a lot of people, especially when you're younger, you put pressure on yourself to be good at everything as an example, right? And 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 that's actually not the right approach. Most of us, as you get older, as you get more experience, you figure out what your strengths are and you kind of double down on that. But if there's other gaps in your skill set or your knowledge that you feel should be addressed where you have the interest and abilities to to develop that skill, you should you should absolutely do that. One simple example, I have an older brother who's a chief architect at a uh, at a technology company, and he's been in computer science, uh, you know, computer scientist and a programmer for 30 years. Well, he started off as a Java programmer, uh, but now he manages a team of, of talent in India and in, uh, in Europe, and the way that they develop software is different, right? The way that you develop software today in the cloud uh, and deploy, you know, new releases every single day sometimes is very different than, let's say, being a Java developer and deploying something once a month or once every two months. So he had to learn the new methodologies. He had to learn new technologies to do his job better, right? Even though he's been doing it for a very long time. And that can be applied to any role. So understand what your gaps are as it pertains to the current market, uh, as it pertains to maybe even within your own company where there might be needs and and you can kind of take raise your hand and do the work before somebody else does, right? Oftentimes being proactive and learning a particular skill can actually help you stand out because most people aren't doing that. So I would say think about your gaps. And the second thing I would think about is your network. And I'm sure you talk about this a lot as well. Your network really helps define where your opportunities come from. And a lot of people think, well, you know, I, there's this guy I, I saw, he works at Google, or there's this woman, she became a, a VP at a very young age at this big tech company. Well, she got lucky, right? Or she went to Harvard and she got that opportunity. But we've uh, interviewed and a lot of people to be instructors. We also ha had a lot of uh, free classes we posted at School 16, where we interview professionals uh, within some of these big brand companies. And one of the consistent things that you hear over and over again is, these people created these opportunities for themselves, right? Now, I'm not saying they didn't have any leg up or support, right? But when it came to getting the coolest jobs or the coolest opportunities, they advocated for themselves. They built the right networks. They asked people for coffee chats. They uh, got feedback. They changed their approach. They were incredibly proactive. And they not only deliberately built relationships with the right types of people, they deliberately leveraged those relationships by providing value, by, you know, actually creating uh, some kind of bond with somebody over time and then uh, getting uh, getting asked to participate in a particular opportunity. So I think a lot of people think that might sound opportunistic, but actually the best people do that. And so take inventory of who you know. Uh, if you haven't focused on growing your network or cultivating your network, I would spend time on that right now. And if you feel like, well, you have nowhere to start because you don't know anybody, first of all, realize you do know a lot of people, right? You belong maybe to clubs, uh, even if you belong to a religious group or a church, right? Well, there you go. It's a huge whole community that you have access to, people that are likely to help you. So expand your mind into who you know and, and who you can reconnect with. But also you can also reach out to people cold and people are always willing to help. So that's that's an approach that our students take every single week when when if, for example, their goal is to change careers, we, we always say you have to start growing your network today.
I love that advice. Yes, definitely. Your uh, network is your net worth. Uh, I want to go back to the thing that you say, uh, identify your personal uh, gaps. So when someone is making a career change, I find it very hard. And I've talked to some recruiters for whom it's much easier to place someone, oh, you're going from one role, you're going to be doing exactly the same thing. So it's a very easier placement, but it's very hard for people to demonstrate these transferable skills that yes, I'm going from this industry or, or from this type of job and going into something new. How do they showcase where their resume and past experiences are not demonstrating the exact experience that is required for that job description? Well, first of all, I would say make it a little bit easier on yourself, right? So if you're changing careers, that's that's an audacious goal. It's very possible. I've done it like four times at least <laughs> in my career, but you have to think about it in a way that reduces friction for you. So how do you do that? Well, if you're going to be changing, if you want to change industries and change what you do, that's going to be hard right? So if you're going to be changing industries, so let's say you want your, you work as a teacher and you want to get into tech, right? Well, you got to think about which sectors within the tech industries are going to find your experience valuable. Some of your experience, maybe not all, right? Because you've never worked in tech before, but some of your experience. So for example, if you worked um, as a teacher for four different school systems and you know all the principles and you know how the teachers operate, you know maybe you've taken on some ad- administrative responsibilities, well, you're going to be very helpful for an education technology startup company that's trying to sell into school systems. You have the domain expertise and knowledge that they don't. And even though you might not have the sales experience or the customer service experience, if you want to get into that, they're going to value you for this other experience that you have, Right. Whereas if you wanted to work for Tesla, but you don't have no experience with cars and all you, you're coming in as a teacher, right? Well, then maybe that's going to be a little bit harder. Actually, funny, funny, quick side note. One of our podcast guests, I should say, he worked at Tesla before starting his own health company, but he got his job at Tesla because he was an experienced welder. In college, he had a college degree and everything, but in college, he welded for fun and he learned how to this this trade that's actually kind of hard to come by, which I didn't realize, to find a good welder. And Tesla, and it wasn't Tesla, sorry, it was SpaceX. SpaceX was looking for a welder to work on their, you know, something that was part of the rocket. I'm forgetting now, right? But like, that was a very niche specific skill that he had. And he really wanted to work at SpaceX. And he just kept on bugging them until he got that job. But also that was a core need that they had. And eventually he ended up growing within the engineer organization. And later he started a health tech company, right? So uh, so you could see there how there's a parallel because he had that skill set. So think about the skill sets that you do have that are transferable. And I would say make it a little bit easier on yourself. Don't try to switch industries and what your job sort of responsibilities are together at the same time. First, get your foot in the door within a different industry, leverage the skills that you already have, and then, you know, you can move from there. We've had students that started off in customer service and ended up being product managers, uh, but first got that experience working in tech for, let's say, six months or a year before they can transition roles. So think about what you do have that is already valuable to an organization, whether that's domain expertise of an industry or functional expertise. Let's say I'm really good at sales, but now I want to apply sales to tech as opposed to sales for you know, real estate and go from there. Uh, great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Another question similar to what you have mentioned that people should stay for at least like a six month or one year until they move on to a different role. Uh, do you find it harder to move within smaller companies or big companies? Do you or 
what's your thought on that when someone goes and they want to change positions within a company? It's definitely easier to move within a smaller organization. The caveat being that it has to be growing. So if you join a company and it's 10 people or 30 people and a year later it's 30 people, there's probably not going to be as much upward mobility unless there's a lot of attrition and people leave, right? Maybe, you, but then maybe it's a company you don't want to be part of. But where I've seen people have a lot of successes, they join an organization, it's a hundred people, you know, um, they just raise money or they're doing really well. And within a year, it's 200 people. Well, companies like to promote and give opportunities from within. It's it's smart practices that incentivize people to stay, but it's also cheaper. It's a, it's a uh, cost-effective measure. And so if they can give it an opportunity to somebody internally, they will. So it's definitely easier to move within a company that's growing or within a company where there's at least certain teams that are growing so you can have that opportunity. Not to say that that can't happen within a big company. Obviously, big companies have many different departments. And so it could be easy, relatively easy to move as well if you build the right relationships. But I would say in both examples, but definitely in the larger organization, this is where your job, it's your job to do a lot of internal networking. Like if you work on Microsoft and you work in sales and you want to work on the product team, you better be talking to the product team every month, meeting with them, helping solve problems for them. So that then it's a natural transition when the job opportunity opens up. So bigger companies can definitely work in some ways. I guess it can be easy, but it definitely depends on the culture of the organization. Uh, and it depends on the work that you put in building relationships internally. Yeah. So it comes down to building relationships and network even yeah, within the organizations once once you're there. Uh, you mentioned you have pivoted like four times uh, during your career. So can you tell us like what were your pivoting moments and what have you transitioned from into? Yeah. And, and I'll give a even quick anecdotes for how I did it uh, in each in each step of the way. But uh, first, I left finance to get into tech and I got into sales. Uh, for me, that was the sort of easiest path because companies need salespeople all the time. And the way that I did that is I got a part time job doing sales for a startup in the evenings, calling the West Coast for three months. And that was enough experience on my resume to get that that first sort of entry level sales job. After that, I worked, I, I went to a smaller startup, they gave me the title director of sales, but I mean, 25 years old, you're not really directing much. It's a five person company. But I was responsible for all the sales. And my job there personally was how do I get closer to the product? Because I knew eventually I wanted to transition to more of a product-based role. And so I worked really closely with a CTO there, You know, uh, picked up as many skills as I could from him, really thinking hard about how we make product decisions based on customer feedback, which then led me to a sales engineering role where you're doing kind of more technical sales. And I got to learn from more technical people there. And eventually I transitioned into product management because I had also been starting my own software companies on the side. And so I, I learned how to develop product. So that was kind of the next transition is getting experience within the jobs that I already had, experience that I needed. So spending a lot of time with the CTO, VP of engineering. Most people don't want to spend time with them because they feel um, intimidated. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to know what they're talking about. But I like learning from them. And I would always do research after learning from them to make sure I brushed up on stuff that I just didn't understand because they were way smarter than me. But then I got into product. And um, eventually, because I was running on my own startups and working for a lot of fast growth startups. I started teaching little seminars like sales training and the like for venture capital, a couple of venture capital funds in New York. And that was kind of my first quote unquote teaching experience, training early stage founders on sales. And I was also giving some talks and the like in, in New York city whenever I could. And because I had that experience with training, 
and tech and entrepreneurship and the public speaking experience that I created for myself, by the way, a lot of free speaking opportunities. I got a job working for one university. They just called me a lecturer, but I created the entire entrepreneurship class for them. And then I got a job as a professor at NYU uh, because I worked at that smaller university for for about a year. So, and then I, you know, started the podcast and became a writer for Forbes and stuff. And all that stuff kind of compounded. Every time you get a little bit of experience, you think about what can I leverage to get that next opportunity that's interesting for me, and then package that into something that makes me uh, or communicates my abilities and domain expertise. Thank you for sharing these steps. It's very helpful. And also, you mentioned you're a Forbes contributor. So what are the topics you write about? What is the frequency? Yeah, so it depends, right? This is kind of the beauty of, I think a lot of people think, okay, well, I have to pick a lane. And, you know, let's say I'm going to be I don't know, a marketer that's or or copywriter that's all I'm going to talk about for 10 years. But actually, I change what I talk about every couple of years, depending on what's interesting for me or depending on what I want to explore. For example, I was moderating a panel last week on AI and the future of work. Well, AI has been around for a while, but my interest in AI is relatively new, right? Because I'm interested in how it is going to impact education. And so moderating that panel accelerated my learning significantly because there was a bunch of really experienced AI professionals there that I got to learn from. And so, you know, I think that basically as you're thinking about the skills that you want to pick up, you want to uh, make sure that you're learning from the best whenever possible. So when we tie it back to uh, your question about what I write about for Forbes and, and Harvard Business Review and the other publications I've written for, it depends, right? So I used to run a podcast where I interviewed entrepreneurs about sort of zero to one starting a company, right? How do you go from nothing to making some money and building a team? Well, what I talked about a lot is that, right? How to think about being a founder zero to one. And, and so I wrote a lot about entrepreneurship. I wrote a lot about innovation, product development and the like. After I started my education company three years ago, I've been thinking a lot more it's it's tangentially relevant, but I've been thinking a lot more about how we develop uh, ourselves as professionals and pick up new skills. So I've been writing a lot more about education. Uh, I've been writing a lot more about the state of education, where I think it should go, and how I think we should think about uh, our own personal uh, and professional development and career development. Now I'm starting to uh, write more about you know AI and how it's going to impact education and our own again skills development as well. But because we have a, we're, we're developing now sort of like a business school track within school 16, where we're going to have people that want to learn skills to be business leaders. I'm going to go back to writing a lot more about product innovation and, and entrepreneurship and, and, uh, and business development and the like as well. So I write about things that interest me. I write about things that I want to explore. Um, oftentimes I'll interview people before writing a piece or do a lot of research on data that I can, like recent data that I can find about a particular topic that can inform my writing, um, but that's what the focus is. The frequency of the writing changes. Sometimes I'll write a piece a week for a couple of months. Sometimes I'll publish one piece a month or one piece every couple of months. It depends. Uh, it also depends what publication. Some publications have really high editorial standards and it takes three months to publish one piece, right? So you can't publish as frequently as you want. So it also depends on who I'm writing for. Okay, great. And one last question is, what is the number one skill you would advise someone to really learn and focus on that is not being taught in school and business schools and colleges, and that is necessary for long term career success? I would say learning how to professionally communicate is incredibly important and not something we're taught until we enter the workforce and we're forced to do it. 
And that could be as simple as writing an email to how you behave in a meeting, to how you run a presentation, to how you deal with customers. For me, the fastest way to learn that was working in sales. Uh, now, I'm not saying everybody has to work in sales, but when you do, you learn these skills very quickly because if if they're not sharpened yet, you're going to see the, your gaps very quickly and sales is a performance-based role. So you're going to get the feedback loop very quickly as well. So I know sales isn't for everybody. So if you don't want to do that, you know, customer success uh, is another area where you get to work with customers. You get to do some upselling, but you might not have a quota. Business development, partnership development, there's different roles like that. You know, if you follow different paths, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a consultant, well, you're doing a lot of that work as well because you're, you're working with, you know, external clients and probably learning those communication skills is the reason that you were hired, to be honest. But a lot of us don't prioritize that learning. And so especially if you're looking to change careers, like for example, there's certain industries where having a LinkedIn profile isn't, you know, expected. Like you find a lot of teachers coming into that want to get into tech. They don't even have a LinkedIn profile. That's not their fault. That's not the standard in the industry, but making sure you learn how to talk about yourself on LinkedIn, how you learn to network on LinkedIn as an example, reach out to people and the like is really, really critical as well. And the way that you communicate within you know, an organization that is innovating or an organization that uh, needs to be profitable is a little bit different than maybe you do in a, in a different type of role, like a teacher or in a government job or whatever it is. So learning those business communication skills is really critical. And if you can get a job that will force you to do it, you'll just, you, you'll skip years in terms of how quickly you'll learn. Now that you mentioned LinkedIn, I have to ask you one more question. I know it's different when you have your business, when you're trying to put as much as, as much content on the LinkedIn platform, what would be your advice on the posts on the frequency of someone who wants just to uh, change a job, who doesn't want to start their business, but they just want to position themselves to be a better candidate for certain roles. If you're just looking to change jobs, I wouldn't even necessarily worry about the posts. You can do it. And if you have ideas, you absolutely should do it. I know for some people, it's scary, right? To put their own concepts out there until they kind of learn that skill. And even for me, I didn't start doing it until I develop a good writing, good writing habits and good writing skills. Because on LinkedIn, when you write a post, you're, you're essentially just writing. But if you're looking to change jobs, what you absolutely should prioritize is making sure that your LinkedIn profile end-to-end -end communicates your skills for this next job or career or whatever that may be. So you have a lot of people that, for example, are too timid or shy to put part-time experience or to put side projects that they worked on or anything that could really be directly relevant to the next role. Uh, well, you shouldn't do that because that is going to be your most interesting experience and your most relevant experience as well. Also, you have to think about the jobs that you have had or internships or whatever it is that you have on your resume and what parts of those jobs would be the most relevant for this next career move for you and talk about it there. So for example, uh, let's say you want to work in marketing but you've only ever worked as, let's say, a server in a restaurant, right? Well, obviously, there's not a lot of correlation there. But let's say you also did a side project for a friend who was starting a podcast or who launched a coffee shop, and you ran their Instagram for a month or two months, and you got them like 200 followers. Well, you may think that's not relevant experience, but that's actually the most relevant experience for a marketing role. And you shouldn't shy away from talking about that on your LinkedIn profile. So Make sure you have a solid headshot. Make sure you the title at the very top of who you are speaks to the next role. Make sure your experiences, little paragraphs about what you've done also speak to that role. And the reason you need to do that is because these days, 
hiring managers will disqualify you if they don't see that relevant information on your LinkedIn profile. They'll just move on to the next person. And so why take yourself out of the race just by not doing work that's sort of table stakes these days? So make sure you think about the next role and create a profile, which is your public resume. Now, I will say it's not, don't copy and paste your resume. People can read that separately. It needs to be a digestible way to quickly scan your background to see if you're relevant for this next opportunity. So think about it through that lens and spend time on your profile. Wouldn't worry as much about posts just because you know people may not see those unless you're you really want to be a thought leader or you have something you want to talk about on a daily or weekly basis. Thank you. And let us know when is the next round of the cohort in school 16 or how can people join at which time do you open enrollment? Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, we always have enrollments open. So for us, accessibility and flexibility of education is, is really, really critical. The next cohort does start on June 19th, but we do rolling admissions uh, and really our job with anybody that's a career changer or somebody that's looking to develop their skills is to talk to them and, and understand, you know, is our type of education a good fit for them? If it's not, that's fine. But at the very least, we will give them advice on how to proceed and take the next step. For, because for us, I think oftentimes people just don't have anybody to talk to or to get that advice from. And because we really focus on practical skills development, in other words, what we believe is in demand now, what we believe is going to make you the most marketable possible. We always take conversations with people that are exploring their education or exploring the professional development, even if it just means giving them some feedback so that they know what step to take next, because a lot of people don't even know, you know, where do I go next? And it's hard, right? It's hard when there's a lot of options out there, uh, but that's our job is to is to create that clarity for somebody else. But if somebody is actually interested in one of our programs, uh, we have rolling admissions and, and the next cohort starting on June 19th. Great. Thank you so much, Vadim. We'll definitely share the link to the School 16 and to your profile. And thank you so much for being the guest and sharing your experience and great advice. Of course, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. And the well, last thing I'll mention is um, I'm always very open to connecting to people. So you can find me on LinkedIn, just Vadim Brevzin. I'll, I'll pop up there at School 16 and School 16 is just school16.co.co. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Career Alchemist Podcast with Tiana Burek. If you like this episode, please share it with a fellow career alchemist or leave us a review. If you'd like to learn how to build a thriving career or business by your human design, sign up for the free training and the link in this episode. For additional resources, please visit careeralchemist.com.